Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I'm impressed. 930 was going along with that song. Be something I expect from those who slept in, but that's really impressive for those of you who had to get up early. I want to take a moment, welcome all of you who are with us for the very first time. It is truly an honor to have you, especially in May, when everything begins to change. School's about out. Some of you parents are not happy about that. And I get it. Now your children become your children. And uh, you just the teachers are raising their hands and the parents are going, oh, Jesus, help us. But we're glad you're here, and those of you watching online for the first time, we're so thrilled to have you as well. Guys in the booth, if you want to try to put Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 on here in just a moment, um, I'm doing this series called Staycation. Um, between the, the years about 2000, late 2007, 2008 through 2010, you may recall those are what we would call the recession or even the great recession uh, of our time. And during that period of time, a lot of people changed. A lot of things changed. Financial portfolios changed. And uh, it's estimated that two-thirds of our society has financial concerns. Even people who have money uh, are afraid of losing it after that recession. And so this, this word was coined staycation, or another way they put it was holiday. In other words, people say, you know, we're just not going to take vacation anymore. We're not going out of the country. We're not going out of town. We're not going out of state. We're not doing anything. So what do we do? Well, what happened really during that period of time, uh, this, this fear came upon our nation and actually probably came upon much of the world. And so what do we do with that fear? Because the reality is, is that fear will prevent us from resting and from sleeping. And then we go back, take it a step further, and most of that fear is driven by a fear of not having enough to live on, not having enough money in our lives. And uh, I want us to get over that fear. Uh, And, you know, when this song says, I will not be afraid, not going to be afraid, not going to be afraid, fear is not something that God deposited in us. It's something that's a result of what goes on around us which can get in us if we don't stop it. For the Bible, the Bible says, For he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And certainly there are moments in our lives when we all have some kind of fear that challenges us. That's n- normal. So for those of you who say, Well, I'm not spiritual because I'm experiencing fear in my life. And there are certain Christian movements that would uh, call you less than or you don't have faith or whatever. The reality is that we're all challenged by fear. And so I don't want you to feel like you're unique or you're strange, that uh, you're not a Christ follower, you're not close to God just because you're experiencing fear. Fear is a very real part of the world in which we live, and we have to learn to navigate it. And so as I thought through this beginning, this series called Staycation, uh, I I wanted to, to really begin to think through what would keep us from experiencing the rest that a vacation or staycation is supposed to provide for us. Because oftentimes, even after, before the recession, 
we take vacations and then you get home, you had a great time, and then fear hits you, you go, how in the world are we going to pay for that? You know, we put it on a card or whatever we do. And so today I want to kind of help us. The subtitle of today's message is Blessing and Wealth is Found in Rest. It's not found in work, it's found in rest. Now certainly the Bible tells us we have to work, but there is a fruit or a reward to that work as unto the Lord. And so uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. And the true answer to to first off, wealth is not always a blessing. I want you to understand that. So when I say blessing and wealth, wealth is not always a blessing. As a matter of fact, there are many wealthy people that hoard their finances and are scared to death of losing them. So fear is not unique to those who are struggling or in lack. It's a part of all of our lives and that uh, we need to be able to address it. And one of the ways is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep His commandments and His judgments. Now, this is out of the Amplified Bible, so there will be some things in parentheses that I will say that won't be up there. It says, And His judgments, precepts, and His statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have increases, then your heart will become lifted up by self-conceit and arrogance. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. It was he who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. He fed you manna in the wilderness, a substance which your fathers did not know, so that he might humble you by dependence on him, and that he might test you, not tempt you, but test you to do good things for you at the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember with profound respect the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving, giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore solemnly promised to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will most certainly perish like the nations which the Lord causes to perish before you. So shall you perish, because you would not listen to and obey the voice of the Lord your God. That's a lot to say. Now, I grew up in a church that um, never taught on blessing or wealth or prosperity. Now, when I talk about this today, this is not a, a prosperity message. This is a message of hope to overcome the fear that your lack is going to overtake you. Uh, it is something we all wrestle with, and it tells us here to realize it's God who gives us the power to gain or achieve wealth. And that means that we have to put our trust in Him and obey Him. And so God is not lacking in any way, shape, form, or fashion. I, 
uh, try to remember, I think it's Isaiah 61, 7, that instead of shame, I will, I, you will inherit prosperity, a double portion of prosperity and joy. So God wants to bless us, but the church I grew up in used to kind of, I think ignorantly, I don't think it was intentional, but misquote the Bible, and they would say, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what Paul said. Paul said it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And so there's a battle in us, in all of us, how much is too much, how much is enough, what should I really have? Uh, in the secular world, there's great criticism toward the church when we talk about uh, prosperity and wealth. And, and I want to remove that today because this is not about just prosperity and wealth. This is about being blessed so that you can be a blessing. To me, that's all blessing is. If I can't find a way to be a blessing, I don't need to be blessed. Two of you like that. Thank you. So when I talk about this, matter of fact, I was praying on the way to church, and I really just began to seek the Lord on this. And I said, God, I, I really want to be a blessing. And as I was going through my very difficult time uh, a few years back, honestly, it wasn't that I knew what I might lose uh, as far as earthly possessions go. It was that I might lose my ability to give and to be a blessing to others. It's always been my heart. If you ask any of my kids, you can ask anybody who knows me that I love to give. It's always been a part of my life, and, and I can't explain it. It's something God put in me. I began giving automobiles away. When God spoke to me, I, I, I could not believe it. You guys know my love for cars. And when God said give a car away, I knew he was, he was talking to the thing that I, I love the most. Outside of y'all, of course. And I knew that God was saying, Mark, you'll never have to fear if you'll let me be in charge of your life and everything that you own. You'll never have to fear for anything. Has it always been easy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I, I mean, it's been a fight for me, and, and I, I suppose it may always be a fight. Now, it, it, Paul said I fought the good fight. A good fight means that you know you're going to win because you're going to obey the Lord. You're going to obey the Lord. And I can tell you that that is the number one goal, obedience. Because God wants to prove his covenant before the world to us that he is our provider. He's the God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. He's the God that meets every need we have according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That that's what God wants for us. And you never want to feel shame for God's blessing. You never want to. In other words, if you get something nice and somebody comes up and comments on it and you're afraid immediately that they're going to say something to you naughty. Anybody ever gotten blessed and somebody said something naughty to you? Yeah, I don't want you to feel that. Uh, I used to have that problem and I'd say, well, you know, they'd say, that's a nice shirt. And I'd say, well, I got it over here on sale. And I, just like God said, shut up. And just say, thank you. God really has been good to me. You know, that's really what I had to learn was God. Because I grew up in a lower middle class home. I, I didn't know how to address finances. I, I didn't know the first thing about blessing or wealth. It wasn't something we ever talked about. Uh, matter of fact, we had so much pride that we got by. You know, that was our thing is we, we did it, you know. And so we put a lot of confidence in our hard work. And my father was one of the most 
hardworking man that I, I've ever known to this day. First 13 or 14 years of my life, he worked 16 hours a day. I rarely ever saw him because he grew up in extreme poverty. And so we were never taught about the blessing of God. We were taught about the provision of God, and certainly God provided for our family. But we were never taught that God would bless us so much that we could be a blessing. That if we would give, he would give back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That God would give. I never, ever, ever heard that as a young man. Then I enrolled at a university that taught that and uh, believed that and lived that. And I, I saw the criticism that came with that. And I was challenged to, to determine whether I was going to believe God in the face of criticism or I was just going to quietly let criticism prevent God from being a blessing in my life. So this begins with what you, what you have in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I had to change the way my heart felt and thought about the blessing of God. I grew up believing that the only thing we needed to really applaud or stand for was going to heaven. And that, that that was all we needed to live for. But the reality is that if you meet someone who's incredibly hungry and famished or thirsty. And you can give them bread to eat and water to drink. That their heart will open up to the message that Jesus has for you and them. And that oftentimes <clears throat> if you go up and tell somebody about Jesus who's starving to death. They may not hear you. So if I have a way to naturally connect with them and help them with a natural hurt or pain, then they might hear about a supernatural God through a supernatural message. So I believe that one of the great ways, not the only way, but one of the great ways to reach the world in which we live today is for our blessing to become their blessing as well. And so when we started Mosaic, one of the first things Rick and I talked about was that we were going to give. We didn't really have much money, but I remember writing a first $2,000 check when we were just a brand new church to Danita's children in Haiti, where I'd previously been the chairman of the board of that organization. And I, I know the work, and I know how great the work is. And we just said, we've got to sow as a church. We have to sow as a church. We have to be a blessing because God has blessed us. And, and so today, what I want to do is kind of just walk us through three very simple things that you can ask yourself. And these are things that I check fairly regularly, probably should do more of. Is first off, what's in your heart? Rest begins with the heart. If your heart is at peace, you'll enjoy a life at peace. In other words, if I know that the end of the day... Not that I did well, but that I did my best to obey the Lord. That I did my very best to repent uh, instead of make excuses. When I went through my crisis, that was the first thing I realized was that <clears throat> I had to own every sin and mistake that I made. That I couldn't dance around it, couldn't excuse myself, but that I had to own it and that I needed to repent for it. And that... I've always known a life of repentance is a life that can be at peace and happiness. And that that's the way we live, by checking our heart. 
The Bible says above all things, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Every now and then, a heart will get contaminated by a negative experience. Something that was said to you, something that happened to you. Uh, a moment that you felt mistreated, that you were fired from a job that you had done everything right. And you knew other employees really talked poorly of the company and didn't do everything right. And you ended up being the one getting terminated. In that moment, it's very easy to see that as a negative situation when in reality, your termination might have been the greatest blessing from God. Because now you're going to finally get the job you always dreamed of. You're going to start the business you always thought you couldn't start. Because God said, you prayed about this, but you've been unwilling to take the steps to get there. So I'm just going to let the boss terminate you. And let's see if you can trust me. It's not a temptation. It's a test. For me, this was a test. Starting Mosaic Church, it's a test. God wasn't tempting me. He was testing me. Will you obey me in the face of criticism, in the face of embarrassment, potentially? Would you, would you obey me? And I knew the answer to that immediately, January 3rd, 2016, when God spoke to me. There was no option. It's like when God speaks, I want him to prove his covenant to me and through me that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And it really doesn't matter what's going on around you if God's going on within you. You can get over anything. But what happens is we leave ourselves to try to take care of something Jesus already died for. Instead of just saying, Lord, this is your problem. I don't know how many times I've told God that. I don't think he gets mad at me. I say, God, they're your problem. This is your problem. That's your problem. Then every now and then I get in the flesh and I just say, smite them, God. I have to take it back. Rest begins with the heart. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And so how do I get to that place? This last week we got paid. And uh, Rick is, is oversees all of our finances, all of our human resources, all of that. And um, I had a car demon. You, you ever have a car demon? I had a car demon visit my house. Now, I've got two cars. Like I told you, I like cars. Don't belittle me for this. I, like ra I started racing when I was 16, and it's just never left me. And so I have this really sweet Roush Mustang that was actually given to me because I've sown a lot of seeds. And so this was given to me. So if you're mad at me for having two cars, get mad at the guy who gave it to me because he made me take it. I'm telling you, he did. So, but... So I, I, it, it's, it's, a, it's a race car, and, and uh, it, it needed shocks. It needed some work, and, and so I took it in, and it needed a little more than I thought, but I did it. Then it needed tires, and guess what happened? I put four new tires on it, and it wasn't a few days. I'm driving down our fine streets of Oklahoma City <laughs> that are all wonderfully paved and perfect without any debris on them. And I had a blowout in a brand new tire. Come to find out, it had, I guess the, the tire store said that it hit something and cut it. Guess what? There was no road warranty. You had to pay for another tire. Yeah, praise the Lord. I just rejoiced. Okay, Jesus, I know where this is coming from. It's the devil, ain't you? And then the other car had a problem. And, and, I, and then I, a motorcycle. I could take it in Friday. And so when I had to tithe last week, I had an issue. I did. I'm just being honest with you, man. I, I, I give by text. That was the hardest text of the week. 
icky, icky, icky. And I wanted to reduce it. You know, you start going in your mind, well, you only got this much net. Well, you know, do you want to be netly blessed or grossly blessed? I like gross blessing. That's gross. So, you know, I just, I just did it. Why? Because I know that, that the word says that if I bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, he'll rebuke the devourer. That's what he says in Malachi 3. He'll rebuke Satan on my behalf. So I just gave God, I, just, I did the covenant thing, and I gave God permission by, by texting to give. I gave God authority. You say, well, you can't give God authority. Yeah, you can. Because if you obey his covenant, you've authorized him to do that because he said he would. If you don't, he's not authorized to because he's not a God or a man that he should lie. And he said, the only way I'm going to do this, if you bring it in, then I'm going to rebuke the devourer. I'm going to open the windows of heaven. So what I do to bring my heart at rest is to find out what the Bible says and to obey it. Can you all get on board with that? Just thought I'd check. Because obedience is the key to all joy, all peace, all blessing, and opens the door for God to do what he says he will do. So when you think that God has all authority, he says, I've given you authority. Well, what does he mean by that? He means that I've given you the authority to choose whether or not to give me authority to do what I told you I'd do. So believe it or not, your obedience gives God authority to do what he said and says he will do. So in other words, if, if you can't forgive someone of their transgressions or trespasses, the Bible says you won't be forgiven. That's huge. I hate forgiving some people. I like forgiving people I like. That's easy. Oh, it's okay, I like you. But what about the people that you really hope live on the north side of heaven while you live on the south? And that heaven's this mass that you can't even get to the north side. It'll take years. That's how far you're separated from those people. You never have to see their face. God's going to put them in the condo above you. <laughs> Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. That's a promise of God. So I have to give God authority by saying, God, I forgive. And God says, well, I forgive you, Mark. It's just, it's, I know it's so simple when I say it. It's so hard sometimes when we have to do it. It's hard to forgive. It's hard to give. But it says... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the principle of sowing and reaping is not just confined or restricted to finances. It's in all of life. In every, if I forgive, I sow forgiveness, I reap forgiveness. I sow kindness, I reap kindness. Next time you get a real nasty clerk at a store, just be nice and watch them soften up. And if they don't, the next one you go to, you'll reap from them. But what I have found oftentimes is when someone's cantankerous and I'm just nice, it's amazing how they change. They just get kind. And just two seconds ago, you wanted to reach out and slap them. And you went, hold it, I'm going to sow kindness so I can reap kindness. And when you do that, you're going to find rest in your heart, whether you're here or in Cancun. See, some people rely on a destination to get peace. But you can't live there most of the time. 
most people. And the ones who live there need to get out of Cancun to go somewhere else. That's what we say. So we, we think a destination is what's going to bring us peace. The reality is only God can give us true peace. Only God. And so if we obey him, we find it. The heart is capable of making decisions. As I said, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Another scripture in Matthew 6, 21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if your treasure is in heaven, if your treasure is in God, in Christ, that's where your heart will be, and that's where your peace will be found. Our heart is exposed by our treasures. I used to be able to, I used to say this all the time, I still believe it. If you look at anybody's check ledger, bank statement, you can oftentimes find where our heart is, how much money we're spending on food, how much money we're spending on stuff, how much money we're spending on us, how much money we're spending. You can find out where our heart is, which is a scary thing as I say this because i got to go through mine again this week. And you go, where do I really, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong. Please understand, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life and, and enjoying what God has put before us. But where is our true heart? Because I know that as long as I keep God as my focus, that I'm going to live a life of rest. If I obey the Lord, I always find rest. And I don't know about you guys, but the older I get, and I'll never be old. I'll just always be older. It makes me feel better. I will never be old. I'll just be older. And the older I get, the wiser I get. And the wiser I get, the more peace I'm going to have. Isn't that awesome? And the beauty of it is all my kids are grown. Now I have grandkids. If I get tired of them, I just send them home. Our hearts are filled with trust if our focus is on God. Filled with pride if, if, is, if our focus is on our works. And our hearts are filled with poverty if our hearts focus on shame. Shame is a, a, a terrible thing. Shame is a terrible thing. There are people in poverty who feel shame. There are people who have wealth who, believe it or not, feel shame. Because they feel judged by the people who don't have and vice versa. The, the people in poverty feel judged by the people who do have. And so we live our lives in shame. And that's why I love Isaiah 61, 7, that we won't live in shame. He'll take that away. And in place of that shame, give us a double portion of prosperity and joy. And so it's very, very important that we not fall, fall prey to any one of those. And then secondly, rest requires us to use our hands. So the question is, what do you have in your hand? What can you use? I knew that God had things for me that he wanted to use that were in my hands. And when I gave my first car away, that was something that was in my hands. And I thought when I gave it away that it would be the hardest thing in the world. But once I released it in obedience to God, then... Uh, there was peace in my life and peace in my soul. After that, another guy comes up and gives me a car better than the one. I, this has been the principle in my life. I've given away more cars than I've received, so that must mean that one of the new Hellcats is coming out. <laughs> Can you imagine a pastor pulling up? Now the next Dodge is a demon. So, see, that way I, I can justify that because... Uh, if I'm driving a demon and my foot's on the accelerator, then the demon's under my foot. I've got this figured out. That's all. I mean, I think every day that I got in it, I would it was the power of God and it would be upon my life to step my foot on that demon heavily. Okay, so I just wanted to let you all know 
I've thought through this, Brian. I've got it figured out. <laughs> the entire trip to the promised land was the result of what Moses did with what he had in his hand. You remember the staff? He threw it down. It became a, a snake. And then he reaches down, picks it up, becomes a staff again. They go to the Red Sea. strikes. He hits the Red Sea. It parts the waters. It was what he had in his hand. He trusted God to use what he had in his hand. So ask yourself the question, what do I have in my hand? You may look at uh, Mark chapter 12, Mark being the finest book in the Bible. If there are any Matthews in here, I'm sure you're going to argue, well, I was first in the Gospels. I know how this plays out. Well, you remember the woman that she's in, in the they're, they're giving their offerings. Jesus sat down, sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling the disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more, more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus wasn't being critical of those who gave out of their wealth, but he said it really took something special to put pretty much everything you had in there and trust him to provide. Neither were wrong. He just was making a point that really what he's asking, do I have all of you? Do I have all of you? Uh, when I was pastoring uh, Victory, Years ago, I, we were trying to build something, and, and we needed money. And God spoke to me to give away all of the Easter offering. that every, And we told everybody that gave, we're going to give all of this away. That offering came to over $200,000, and we gave every bit of it away. Because I believe there's a time, or times, when God asks for more than what we think we can do. And that if we'll step up and trust him with what we have in our hand, we can have rest in our heart. I never looked back and never felt regret, never felt sorry, never got worried. I knew that God had said do that. And we did it. That's the way I want to live my life. Because I have found that turmoil comes when I hold on tightly to whatever it is I have. Corey Tim Boom put it this way she said hold nothing tightly because if God ever pulls on that and you hold on it's not going to feel good it's going to cause you grief it's going to cause you struggles and so we have to ask God what do I have in my hand what is it that you've placed here Mark chapter 8 uh, Jesus said be careful Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of that discussion, Jesus asked them. Because they thought it was a lack issue. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets? Fulls of pieces, did you pick up 12? Over twice as much came back as what they fed the multitude with. 
Why? Because what they had in their hand, they gave to Jesus. Jesus blessed it, distributed it among the multitudes, and they had more than what was distributed. There's a principle here that in a world that is fighting about wealth and finances and the secular world criticizes the Christian world and the Christian world criticizes the secular world and who should have wealth and who shouldn't have wealth. Look, that, that's not my problem. I want to have peace. <laughs> I want to have peace. The battle really isn't about wealth. It's about peace. And I'm not even responsible for it anyway. God is. I'm responsible for obedience. I'm responsible to obey the word of God. And then God is authorized by my obedience, given authority to do what he said he would do. And meet every need I have according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So just ask yourself, what do I have in my hand? What do I have? I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm not a, I love what everybody following their heart. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I got issues like everybody else. I, I like cars and clothes. I, I think I have a little elevated estrogen. I'm one of those strange guys that likes to shop. And I, I give away clothes. I mean, bags of clothes. Every, I don't take them to consignment stores. No problem for people who do. I don't mind. Matter of fact, sometimes I like going in there and buying what you want to sell. But I'm just telling you, I give them away. I just feel like it's just, some, what do I have in my hand? Just give it away. And so don't be coming up telling me your sizes after church. Rest at home requires an inventory. So not just what you have in your heart, what you have in your hand, but what do you have in your home? What do you have in your house? What do you have in your house? This in intrigues me because in 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Then he goes, tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she replied. Now, listen to this. Except a little oil. Your servant has nothing at all, except... That one word, except, we need to go, because we forget, except, I do have a little bit. And it was that little bit that turned into a whole lot. It goes on to say, Elisha said, now go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Now, can you imagine that woman going, well, that's just the most foolish thing in the world. Haven't you ever said that? When God instructs you to do something, that's just stupid. It makes no sense. I have nothing to put in those, those jars. Why should I go ask for jars and not a few? How do you explain to a neighbor, hey, I need jars? Why? There has been an oil spout under my house. It just popped up. I struck oil. No. There's, not, there's no reason. Their neighbors know her issues. Come on, man. Your neighbors have ears. They know, they watch you coming and going, they see your face. I got neighbors, I watch them. I check in when they get, oh, they got a new car. Who's that? Is that somebody visiting or they sell their house? You don't want to be my neighbor, I'll know all about you. 
the Sherlock of my HOA. Come on, man. We all want to know our neighbors. I'm telling you, they knew her business. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Why shut the door behind you? Because the neighbors are going to come over and see what she's doing with the jars they loaned. Shut the door behind you. You don't want people looking in on this. You don't want people talking you out of this. You don't want people distracting you from what you're supposed to be doing. Just do what I tell you. Shut the door behind you, and we're going to get to business here. Pour oil into the jars. Now, this really make you feel like an idiot. You got to accept a little oil. <laughs> you're over here, this jar, this big, this big, and we're not talking like a mason jar here. We're talking... Like big. And she starts pouring it in. Pour it in. Put it to one side. She left him afterwards, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her. She kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But they replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. The oil wasn't the most important thing in that moment. Her faith to believe was the most important thing. Except she needed something to work with. There have been times that I needed more to work with, and I knew God was saying, I want you to pour that into somebody else's life so that I can have more to work with in your life. I am a major believer in sowing and reaping, the principle of sowing and reaping. Major believer. God has never failed to show me himself in this way. To sow is imperative. In this church, to sow is imperative. You think you guys just give to make this thing happen. You're actually giving to help us not just make things happen here, but happen around the world. It starts with finding and telling what she had. Her rest was found in her trust. Your rest is found in trust. Always remember that. Your rest is found in trust. It's not found in a destination. It's not found in what you have or don't have. It's not found in your skill or your talent. Your rest is found in your trust. And if you trust God, you will obey God. If you trust God, you will obey God. People say, well, you know, I trust the Lord. In what category? Because we all have restrictions on God, I promise you. And that if we will listen every day, God might just point those things out. So you know what? If you could just unlock that door and trust me, I want to show you what I can do. Because this whole thing on rest, I know everybody's thinking it's May, it's June, we got to take a vacation, we got to we got to find some rest and we got to find some peace. We listen, man. The minute you come back from Hawaii and you spent $10,000 on a $5,000 budget, you might have had a good 5 days, but you're going to have a one tough year. You're not going to find rest in that destination. You're going to find a mess in that destination. We have to learn that all the peace that we want and rest that we want is not in found in where we go, but to whom we go. And when we go to God, we're going to find that rest. We put our trust in Him. He's promised He would never leave us nor forsake us. Your perception can turn things around. How you perceive. 
Sometimes all we need is an accept moment or thought. As long as there were containers, there was a flow of oil. What would have happened? Just curious. If she, on about, let's say she got ten jars, and on the fifth one, the oil kept flowing. And she has two sons. I would have sent one son to the neighbors to get more jars. This looks like this might actually work. Go get more. Because the oil didn't stop until she had no place left to pour it. What would you have done? Would you have brought more into your house? Believe God for what you had in your house to expand. What would you have done? Rest is found in trust. Where there was blessing, there is blessing. One person said, when I go to the place where God has met me before, I often find he meets me again. I often find he meets me again. Lord, we pray today, and I pray for all of us and those watching online, that, Lord, we would surrender our hearts to you, what we have in our hands, what we have in our house. Lord, just even surrender, even if you don't require those things of us, that they would be surrendered to you. Lord, and as we approach summertime, people are feeling the pressure of Christmas and New Year's and all that's gone on up to this point as we transitioned into 2017. April 15th is behind us. People are beginning to measure what they can and can't do for the next few months with kids out of school. There seems to always be this, this pressure. We've got to get out of town. Can't take any more of this. We've got to get out of town. And we put our faith and confidence in a destination instead of in you, God. So if we have to stay or whatever we have to do, Lord, we just know that our peace and our rest is not found in where we go or what we have, but it's found in you. And so, Lord, may we find rest today. That we take your yoke upon us, God. Not the yoke of the world, the yoke of the daily grind, but that we would take your yoke upon us. That means, Lord, that we would walk step by step with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.